Welcome to First Baptist Church. If you're a guest, my name is Joe Andrews. I am not the senior pastor here. David Burroughs is the senior pastor here, and I am filling in for him today. Uh, many of you know that his wife is having some medical issues, and it was best for him to be with her right now. Uh, he did tell me to tell you that he appreciates your prayers for her and for him, and she also appreciates your prayers as well. And just from me, I would say continue to pray for Debbie, pray for her healing, pray that God does what only God can do. All right, so that's why I'm here. Um, and I get to jump into the middle of a pretty awesome series. Uh, the series is called Saul of Tarsus. And it's really been, it's, it's going to be a nine-week journey into the life of Paul. What made him tick? Why was he who he was? And today we're actually going to answer a question that that bumper kind of proposes. What, what would make a man suffer so much, so much as Saul or Paul did? There had to be something that would make him suffer so much. I mean, we know about his call we know that he thought Jesus Christ had been crucified and was dead, period. And so he was persecuting the church until one day when he met the dead man, and the dead man wasn't so dead. In fact, he was alive, just like the four songs that we just sang, all about Jesus Christ and him exalted. He had risen. And it changed Saul's life, so much so that people began to call him by a different name. That's one reason that he would suffer so much, but we're going to look and we're going to answer that question today. And we've looked at a few other things. Paul talked about justification, uh, and he talked about how we are justified when we place our faith in Jesus. That's what David talked about last week. The week before, he talked about the resurrection. But all of these things contributed to the fact that Paul was who he was. And then we come nearing the end of his life, and we see Paul as a criminal. And that's the title of today's sermon, is Criminal. And we'll be in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. We'll get there in a little bit. But I kind of want to set the scene for you uh, first. And you know about criminals. Criminals come in all shapes and, and different sizes. You guys know that. You guys watched Cops back in the day. You know criminals, they don't all look the exact same. In fact, the very person that is talking to you right now may be a criminal and you don't even know it. The year was 1999. The date was June 26th. I was out riding my motorcycle behind a mountain, and I crashed said motorcycle, and I went to Memorial Medical Center so that they could kind of assess what I've done to myself. And I'm in the hospital, and uh, I don't know if this, anything like this has ever happened to you, but those nurses are so sweet. They will scrub every place on your body that hurts, that you've removed skin from, and everything, and oh my gosh, it, it's the worst. All right, so they clean me up. They can't even get to some of my problems, and so they, they have to cut open my pants and all of these things. I, I basically 
left my knees behind a mountain and my heel. Uh, I had road rash everywhere, and they're just so sweet to, to clean me all up. And as they clean me all up, they're like, well, we can't send you back out like that. You have holes everywhere. And so they decide to dress me in operating room scrubs. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but uh, they're disposable, and they keep them at the hospital. And so it's basically like wearing a paper towel shirt and paper towel pants. And it was about that time when somebody else comes into the hospital room. I had already seen my parents. They uh, were happy I was alive, pretty upset at the circumstances. Uh, I think it was two in the morning. And uh, so anyway, somebody else joins the party. You know who it is? It's a police officer. You know what the police officer says? You are under arrest. And I kid you not, he handcuffed me like I was a flight risk or something. I'm like, I, I can't even move. What are you going to do? They put me in a wheelchair and they wheelchair me out to the police car. And they say, get in. And I'm like, I couldn't even walk here. I can't get in. I somehow managed to get in. I can't bend my knees. I can't touch my heel to anything. I don't know how I did it. Uh, but there I am. And I, it was in that back of the cop car where I was like, you know what? I've never seen the inside of, of a cop car before. It's really nice. Very nice seats, uh, very nice glass and metal there separating me from everybody else. So they take me to jail. And they still assume this guy is going to run given the chance. So they chain me to a bench. They handcuff me to a bench in jail. All right. Then when I have to go get my mug shots and everything like that, I'm tracking blood all over the jail. I mean everywhere. It's, it's pretty disgusting. And all of this happens, and I can't tell you how, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you I was in there for two long hours. Uh, and that's when my dad bailed me out. And he told me I'm bailing you out one time because my dad bailed me out one time. And I don't know if this is like a family thing, like... <laughs> like, do I, do I pay that forward? And do I just, I have four kids. Like, do I have to bail each of them out? Anyways, I bet you're wondering what my crime was uh, as a criminal. Here's, here's my crime. I was pulled over uh, probably about a year earlier, and uh, I was given a ticket for not having proof of insurance. I had insurance. I just didn't have proof of insurance. So he gives me a ticket. I stick it in my glove box, and then my stepdad sells the vehicle with the ticket in it, and I totally forget about that I ever got this ticket. So I have a warrant out for my arrest, and that is how I'm a criminal. Now Paul is in a whole other class. It wasn't a little, listen, it wasn't a little traffic violation for Paul. Paul was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why he found himself in prison and in Rome. And there is where he writes the book or the letter to the Philippian church, our book of Philippians, all right? And he writes them because he had a really special relationship with that church because he was the one that had gone to Philippi in his second missionary journey and established the church there in Philippi. He was also in jail there as well in Philippi, but now he finds himself in Rome. He's writing back to them, and the reason is, is because he absolutely loves them. In fact, uh, you, you won't find a softer written letter from Paul than this one, but he still addresses some things that, that they need to know, but he loves them so much, and, and it's reciprocal, man. They absolutely love him. They love him so much 
that they funded his next missionary journey where he was going to go sailing all around and telling more and more people about Jesus. They funded him. And when he was in prison, they were like, we have to help Paul. And so what they did was they said, well, let's get one of us and send one of us over there to Paul. So from Philippi all the way to Rome, they send a man named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus ministers to Paul as he's in prison. Listen, there was a special relationship that Paul had with this church, absolutely special. And so that gives you a little bit of context uh, for where we're going. But I, I really have kind of an overarching thing that I want you to get before you leave today, and it's this. If you claim to follow Jesus, then you have to live like Jesus. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you have to live like Jesus. And Paul did this. He claimed to be a Christ follower, and he lived like Christ. And it's something that you and I should aspire to as well. We don't just say that we're Christians and then we don't live like Christ. It is incumbent upon us to live like Christ because we're his followers. So Paul wanted to talk to the Philippian church because they were involved in a struggle, all right? They did have a few things. Now, it's, it's like I said, he loves them so much, he's just gonna kind of baby them and talk to them about their problems, not like he does in other places. But I kind of wanted to talk to you about what the situation in the Philippian church was that Paul is addressing. And if you go to Philippians 2, it's not gonna be on the screen. Uh, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2, uh, we see what the problem in the church is. He says to them, complete my joy, Philippian church, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Why would he say that four times? Because they were having a problem being of one mind, being of the same mind. There was divisions instead of unity. Then he goes on to verse four. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. And so Paul kind of sets the scene for what he's about to talk about here. And what he talks about here to the Philippian church is so practical for you and I today. And Paul has uh, divided this kind of in, in three different sections to address this struggling church. And so the first section that we're going to look at today is the command of Paul. And this is going to be in verse 5. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read verse 5. But remember, that's the situation in the Philippian church. And they are about to receive a command. It is an imperative from Paul to them saying, you do this. And it's kind of a weird imperative and it doesn't even sound like it. But let's read verse 5. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. That word attitude, that word attitude can really be translated a little bit uh, different in some of your uh, versions. You might have something else. Uh, the idea is that they are to have the, the same mind, the same mind that Christ has, that they are, their thinking is supposed to be similar. It's kind of a mindset. And Paul tells the Philippian church, have the mindset 
It's a command. You do this. Have this mindset. Which mindset? The mindset which Jesus Christ also has. That's the mindset that you need to have, he tells them. And it's, uh, it's a command, and they are expected to obey it. Paul, remember, is their spiritual leader. They are expected to, be, uh, to, to, to obey uh, what he is telling them to do. Basically, he's saying, view yourself like Jesus viewed himself. You Philippians, you need to view yourself like Jesus viewed himself. And he's going to go into it. And it is probably one of the most profound passages in Scripture. Everything that Paul says about Jesus and Jesus' mindset. Basically, he's telling the Philippian church, just be like Jesus. I don't know if you caught uh, my last sermon series. Uh, I think it was back in August. I started that sermon series off with a commercial. And it was the Gatorade commercial. And we talked about being like Mike and how when I was a kid, I wanted to be like Mike. And I said at the end, really, being like Mike wasn't important. Being like Jesus and doing the things that he did is what's most important. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Be like Jesus. He has this mindset. You have this mindset. It's a command. You do this. Do having that mindset. That is what he was telling them. Paul was a criminal for a reason. And the reason was because he followed Jesus. What would cause him to suffer so much was because he followed Jesus. And because he followed Jesus, he lived like Jesus. And because he lived like Jesus, he was persecuted and suffered like Jesus. And that's why Paul finds himself a criminal. Because his savior was a criminal and was crucified on a cross. So that's why Paul finds himself in prison. He followed Jesus and he lived like Jesus. And that really brings us to the second portion of this passage where we really see the mind of Jesus. If Paul is saying, listen, have this mindset. This is the mindset that we're talking about. And Paul is going to go into it. And it is absolutely, absolutely beautiful. I hope that it just inspires you to to also, like the Philippian church, have the mindset of Jesus. Jesus had an attitude, and so should we. Jesus had this attitude everywhere that he went, everything that he did, and his attitude should be our attitude. His mindset should be our mindset. The things that he did, the things that he thought should be the things that we do. And that we think, and Paul wants to remind the Philippian church this in verse 6. We'll read verse 6 now. Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. You can leave that up there for a second. It says, Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God. I think when you and I think of the word form, we automatically think of shape. So Jesus Christ was in the shape of God or somehow like God. That's not what this is trying to communicate. It's not about shape at all. Uh, that's what the pastor comes up to me every single week and he says, uh, he's talking about shape when he uses the word form. He says, Joe, I, I really like your form. I wish I didn't have my form 
I wish I had your form. And I get it, yeah. I, we, yeah, you, I could see that. Your shape, yeah, I get that. My shape, I, I'm, totally, I'm totally down with you uh, there. I say, this is still awkward, though, and you don't need to say this every day to me. Uh, so hopefully by calling him out on stage, this will just end it uh, right here. Uh, that's what I'm hoping. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, my wife will say, you know, Aaron Judge has great form. And I'm like, hold, hold on. What are you talking about? I'm talking about his baseball form, right? Not his form. If I say Aaron Judge has great form, I'm going to be talking about his baseball form. He has this inner ability to play baseball, and it shined through in 2022, didn't it? He had excellent form in 2022 because he hit 62 home runs, more than anyone ever in the American League, and it was an incredible year for him. He has this inner reality that expresses itself Outwardly, That's the same thing that this word is trying to communicate. Though Jesus Christ was a man and he was also in the form of God, he, because he was a man, didn't consider that equality with God was something that he could reach. Why? Well, because he came as a man. And as a man, none of us think that equality with God is something that can be reached. But Jesus is different. He's not only 100% man, he's also 100% God. That word form really speaks to the real you. And that brings me to my next point. I, I want you to see that the eternal son set it all aside. The eternal son of God set everything aside. Yes, he came and he was man and he was God, but he, when he came as a man, he set some things aside, and we're going to see exactly what that means in verses 7 and 8. It says, but Jesus, the eternal son, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now, that word emptied himself, if we're not too careful, we can get that wrong. This does not mean that the eternal son of God that existed in the beginning has always existed. It doesn't mean that when he became man, he lost anything of that. He didn't empty himself of his godness. He didn't just pour that out. He didn't stop being God, even a little bit. In fact, he was always 100% God. What he did, though, was he gained something. He gained being a man. And being a man came with limitations, and he was willing to take on the limitations of man and set aside the prerogatives that he had as God to live as a man. I mean, we see this in the manger, don't we? We don't see the little baby in the manger executing the fact that he is all powerful, but we do see it in Jesus's ministry, don't we? When he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead, when he meets with the woman at the well and tells her every single thing about her life, when he calmed the storms, when he forgave sin. He emptied himself by becoming human, taking the form of a slave. By being born in the likeness of men, that doesn't mean like a man, it means being born as a man. And being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
The next thing I want you to see is this, that to follow Jesus is to live with an attitude of humility. To follow Jesus means to live with an attitude of humility. He says, it says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, all right? If we're going to follow Jesus, it is going to come with humility. And this is what we see in Paul. Paul had this humility as he went around the world sharing and serving people the gospel of Jesus Christ, the best way that he could possibly serve them. You know, we see this obviously when Jesus, the eternal son, became a man. We see it in John 1, 1. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What does that mean? That means that the eternal one, the eternal son of God was with God in the beginning and he was God. And then we get to verse 14. And mind you, it doesn't say anything about Jesus leaving his godhood behind, but it says that eternal son of God, the word became flesh. The eternal son of God became human. He didn't divest himself of one little tiny bit of being God. But he also was now fully man, 100% God, 100% man. The next thing that you need to see is to follow Jesus is to take the role of one who serves others. Isn't that what Jesus did? He was obedient. So he humbled himself. Did he have to? No, he was the son of God. He didn't have to humble himself, but he does. He is obedient to the father to the point of death, even death on a cross, to serve you and me. So yeah, if we follow Jesus, and Paul is trying to tell the Philippian church, listen, if you follow Jesus, it's gonna come with humility and serving others. It's the opposite of what verse two said. You're having these problems because you're building yourselves up. Have the mindset of Christ. Do what he did. View yourself as he viewed himself, and he served others. I mean, we see this when he's washing the disciples' feet, and he takes, the, really, the form of a slave. I mean, he strips down and has a towel, and he goes around, and he washes the nasty feet of his disciples, something only a slave did, and he served. And that's who Jesus is, and that's who Paul wanted the Philippian church to be, have that same mindset. Don't think of yourself as better than everybody else. Think of yourself humbly. Be willing to serve others. That brings us to the third section in this passage, and that's the exaltation of Jesus. Because Jesus was obedient, because he emptied himself, because he was obedient to death, even death on a cross, God does something. God sets things right. This is found in verse nine. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Why? Because he served us by coming as a sacrifice for us. And he gave him or freely gave, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. God sets things right. Why? Because his son was obedient, because his son humbled himself. 
And after his death, God raised him from the dead and he exalted Jesus Christ as the name above every other name. And then we see something interesting that Paul kind of fits in here at the end. At some point, everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord and will glorify God. That's in verse 10. Let's look at verse 10. So that, so God is going to exalt Jesus because of his obedience and who he was and his mindset. Same mindset that the Philippians are supposed to have. God is going to do that, exalt Jesus Christ, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Look at the locations in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That means people who have passed away and people who are alive. In heaven, one day, every knee will bow. On earth, one day, every knee will bow. Under the earth, separated from God, those who decided not to place their faith in Jesus and have a relationship with him for eternity, they too will find that there is a day when they will recognize Jesus Christ for who he is. And they will bow their knee to him. Every knee will bow in worship. That's why we talk about honoring God and getting people to Jesus here at this church. Because it's important that we do it here. Because what we do here affects our eternity. And yes, those who are separated from Christ and his love, there will come a day where they will recognize Jesus as Savior and they will bow the knee, but it will be too late for them to spend eternity with him. That decision has to be made right here and right now. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is saying to the Philippian church to follow Jesus is to live a life that glorifies God. Philippians, listen, Paul says. You need to be living a life that glorifies God because you say you follow God. Glorify God like the Son does. And when he is exalted on high, everyone will glorify him. We also need to glorify him, and we want to do that now. We don't want to wait for some other opportunity in the future. We want to do that now, begin our relationship with him now. To follow Jesus means to trust Jesus as Lord. That's the most important thing. We have to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, because he died on the cross for our sins. He was obedient to the Father, which means the Father sent him to do that, and he said, I'll be obedient, even to death on a cross, so that I can serve the people on earth, so that they can have a relationship with you. I'll take all their sin away if they will place their faith in me. So where does that leave you and I? Paul is writing to this church, and he says, you have a mindset problem. Your mindset problem is yourselves. That's all you're thinking about. You're not thinking about others. You're not trying to serve others. You don't have this attitude of emptying yourself for others. You're, you're not trying to be humble. You're not doing things right. So you have to 
change your minds. Have a mindset switch, Paul tells the Philippian church. And I think we can take that for our lives as well. We probably need a mindset switch. We need to have our mindset like the mindset of Christ. Maybe that means that we need to be a little more humble in our dealings with people inside the church, outside the church. Maybe it means that we need to serve. Maybe we're only thinking about how people can serve us. Maybe we need to be the ones that gets in there and we just serve others because we wanna have that mindset that Jesus has. Maybe we need to empty ourselves. Maybe we think we have so many rights with people or with God. We need to lay those aside, set those aside. Don't, don't use what rights you think you have. Humble yourself like Jesus did. We need to glorify God like Paul is encouraging the Philippians to do. And we need to trust Jesus as Lord. Those are the things that you need to do. If you wanna respond to this message, those are those things that you need to respond to. What is God leading you to do? Maybe it's not one of those things that I mentioned. Maybe it's something a little bit different. Maybe it's joining the church because you don't have a church. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Christ and today is the day that that needs to start. Maybe your mindset is already like Christ. Maybe you can help someone else with that. Bring them along with you. Whatever it is you need to do, you can do at the invitation time, which is gonna be in just a second after I pray. But let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for everything you are doing. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for Paul, who was a criminal because he preached your name, because he had your mindset, because he lived like you. God, help us live like you. Help us serve like you. Help us be humble like you. We wanna be like Jesus. We thank you for his excellent example that encourages us, sinful us, to be more like our Savior. Help us do that. In Jesus' name.